Good morning, good morning. Ain't it a great morning? Well, it's not as bad as it was earlier in the week. Still summertime, though. That's okay, folks. For the next hour or so, we're just going to talk about gardening. I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing, and you've tuned in to the Gestalt Gardeners, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome to our party. We call it a party because that's what it is. So the next hour, it's going to be a live call-in program. Got some cheesy music, a few emails, but... um. This hot and muggy August weekend, why don't we just talk a little bit? If you've got some things on your mind, some gardening questions, some comments, some things you'd like to share, got some events coming up, give us a call. We're going to be giving the toll-free numbers over and over again. But again, Horticulture's Fellow Rushing, me and Java Chapman and all the other folks at MPB are welcome you to our garden party. Next little while, we're going to get dirty. Won't you join us? This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulturist Felder Rushing, uh, me and Java and all the folks at MPB welcome you to this party in the next hour or so. If you got some things you want to talk about, give us a call. I'm just going to chat about things. I'm not going to try to sell you anything. Not going to be a know-it-all. Matter of fact, some stuff that I wish I didn't know because there is a difference between horticulture and gardening. I'm a horticulturist, retired horticulture university, all that kind of stuff. Horticulture is basically crop production, the science of getting someplace successfully you know whether it's shortcuts or filling your freezer yard of the month um you know attracting as many butterflies as you can all those little tricks and trays the the science of of how things are done that's horticulture gardening is for the love of it we're here for the journey if our tomatoes don't get ripe we'll make green tomato fry green tomatoes with it in other words gardening is a journey Horticulture is a process, and there's not much difference, a lot of overlap, and a horticulturist can be a gardener or vice versa, but if you're daunted by the rules of horticulture, you've got to do things a certain way, I'm here to tell you it ain't necessarily so. You want to give us a call, it's toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. We've got the lines wide open, and I've got um, my computer open, so if there's anything you'd like to uh, to email about, that's real easy, Garden at mpbonline.org. Last week, I don't know if you tuned in, but I had broadcast live uh, from one of the oldest botanical gardens in the world, uh, Hortus Botanica. It's in Amsterdam. It's uh, been there since the early 1600s, been growing herbs and and, uh, flowers and stuff. Anyway, had a really good time with that. And after I left there, I went over to visit a really unique garden with some interesting artwork and sitting areas and lots of ideas for small spaces over in a place called Frankfurt, Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, the garden, if you like to just Google it sometime, find a little interest, it's called the Vortex Garden, V-O-R-T-E-X. A lot of really interesting uh, ways to, to create small spaces for sitting. I met my son over there. My son is uh, is an Army captain. He's uh, stationed in Germany right now, and, and uh, he drove over a couple of hours. I drove over three or four hours. We had a good time in this place called the Vortex Garden. Uh, we also drove down about, oh, another 20 miles or so and went to Frankenstein's Castle, the real Frankenstein Castle, not the not the one in the movies, but um, uh, it's just south of Frankfurt. Interesting old place. A guy named Frankenstein actually lived there, and 
years, decades later, uh, one of the fellows who lived there did experiments on on animals and trying to transfer the soul from dead animals to live animals. All the, anyway, that's the basis of Mary Shelley's book, Frankenstein. By the way, if you ever go there, trust me on this, the door knockers are great. Uh, it's just one of those oddball little things. Anyway, if you want to give us a call, toll-free 877 MPB ring. We've got the lines wide open. Be glad to chat with you this muggy August weekend. I'd also like to uh, thank everybody who sent me anecdotes about their visits with the, the late Dr. Dirt. Dirt was a former founding co-host of this program, the Gestalt Gardener. Uh, anyway, my manuscript is in the hands of the editor of the University Press of Mississippi. It's going to feature not just Dirt and his wonderful garden and philosophy, but also other what I call diggers, determined independent gardeners around the area. And a lot of the psychology and sociology that goes into getting along with neighbors who are, shall we call them, normalarians. You know, there's agrarians and all that, but normalarians are people who basically just do it the way everybody else does it. Um, anyway, come, in the process of this book on diggers, de determined independent gardeners, uh, came up with a real interesting term called green necks. <laughs> you know, there's white collar workers, there's blue collar workers, there's red necks, there's all this kind of stuff. But those of us like to dabble in the dirt, we're green necks, and I think it's okay. So anyway, lots of stuff going on right now uh, in the summertime. It's getting late for doing some things for the for for the garden. If you want to get ready for fall, you know, if you wanted to set out a fall garden, it's a pushing it not too late, but it's pushing it. If you can still get uh, transplants of tomatoes and peppers and those warm season kind of things, you can still grow those. A little bit harder because you got to water when you first set them out, a little bit more than you would in the spring. But because the soil is warm and the temperatures are, are, are really warm and humid, plants set out now will actually outgrow those set out back in the cooler weather of the spring. And they'll outproduce in September, October, early November, right up until we get a frost which is, seems to be later and later. Anyway, if you want to gamble on another summer garden crop, sow you some seeds of, of marigolds, uh, put out some seeds of zinnias, the plants will grow great and they'll be fantastic uh, this fall. So uh, especially in time for the, the, the uh, fall migration of hummingbirds, they're going to be coming back from Ohio and Pennsylvania and Canada and, and uh, New Jersey. All those hummingbirds come right through Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Tennessee. And it's a really good time to enjoy them as they migrate uh, further south. Um, would like to throw out a, 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 one of the emails I got this week with somebody who wanted to know some great plants for hummingbirds and butterflies. And uh, I have quite a few that, that I set out in the spring that really don't need a bunch of care. Matter of fact, they, they, they don't get any care because I'm gone most of the time. Uh, but there's a shrub, an old-fashioned shrub called Abelia. Abelia, A-B-E-L-I-A. -E it's been around for a long time. My great-grandmother had them. We used to cut them close to the ground every few years to get them started over. But Abelia is an old-fashioned evergreen shrub, tough enough to go in a cemetery. It has clusters of small white flowers and little pink calyxes around, little bracts around them that are really attractive to bees and hummingbirds and, and butterflies. So if you wanted one plant that's going to be out there as an evergreen, Abelia is it. Uh, also, zinnias, again, if you can throw some zinnias out right now, the seeds will come up real fast. Uh, there's a few other uh, perennials you can put out there, purple cone flowers, 
uh, are real fa uh, favors. There's a plant called Agastache. It's a native to the out in the prairies. It's another good one. Anyway, the main thing is put some flowers out there and get out there and enjoy what else is going to enjoy what you do. We'd like to say it's the time if you want to set out some cool season things like cabbages, broccoli, lettuce. A little bit early for lettuce because it comes out real quick and it's awfully hot out there and the leaves will be bitter. But you can plant all sorts of cool season things, beets and carrots and stuff, throughout this month and the first part of next month and get a really good harvest before fall. And by the way, these are all easy to do in small raised beds. You know, dig up a little area in the in the ground, surround it with some, some wood, add some more stuff to your native dirt so it's partly sunk and partly raised, and go ahead and start planting stuff. It can be pretty as well as productive. So anyway, again, Horticulture's fellow Rushkin. If you want to give me a shout, talk about stuff that's garden related, it's toll free, one eight seven seven MPB ring. We'd like to uh, give a special shout out to those of you listening by pod by podcast. Uh, we appreciate you saying this out, all y'all. So sit back and relax. And if you want to join us, uh, shoot me an email, and we'll pick it up next week. Um, one of the things that I um, got, got an email about this past week, and it's an interesting one, it's from Graham Cassabry. He said, he sent a picture of a shrub. He said it's probably 30 years old. Part of it died last year, and part of it's dying now. The living part thriving. Any ideas of what might cause this? And he sent me a picture. It turned out to be a, a ligustrum, old-fashioned wax, wax ligustrum. It's a great, dependable old southern plant. But ligustrum, azaleas, camellias, all these kind of plants, after, oh, 15 or 20 years or so, the damage they get from staying too wet part of the year, too hot and dry part of the year, uh, things back and forth, ice damage. Ice can weigh a plant down and crack it just a little bit. And, uh, and in the springtime, those cracks get fungal infections. There's all sorts of reasons why parts of an old shrub will start to die. Here's the deal. Uh, usually it's not something that happened just now. It's just the, the plants put on so much growth in the springtime. You know, they put on a whole bunch of leaves. And this past spring, it was cool and moist. Plants put a lot of leaves on them. And then all of a sudden, it got hot and dry. And suddenly, these plants that may have had a little root damage or some trunk or some, some stem damage, suddenly they're overextended. They got more leaves than they can take care of. And they typically brown out suddenly within a few days in the middle of the summer. So if you've had a plants that parts are browning out in the middle of the summer, it's usually old long-term root damage or trunk damage or stem damage. About all you can do is cut out the dead stuff, and if what's left doesn't look that good, cut it back, let it put out new growth, and shape it up. You can rejuvenate older shrubs by cutting them down to a couple of feet tall, and they'll sprout right back out and do great. A lot of times this will save their life. It's called rejuvenation pruning. So anyway, if you want to give that a try. It's no problem at all. Uh, there's a couple of events coming up that I want to share. Nothing right away, but uh, early in September, we've got some interesting events. A Native Plant Society, uh, Strawberry Plains is having their, their big hummingbird festival early September. The Mississippi Gorge Society is a tea festival coming up in Poplarville. We'll talk about all those a little bit, but if you want to give us a call, toll-free 1-877-MPB-RING. We're going to take a real, real quick break. And uh, if you want to shoot us an email, garden at mpbonline.org, that's great. But we're going to take a real quick break and uh, come back with your phone calls 
right after this. Horticulturist Felder Rushing, me and Java and all the folks at MPB welcome you to this garden party. Kidoki folks, welcome back. Horticulture's Felder Rush again. Uh, we're talking about gardening. You want to give us a call? It's toll free one eight seven seven MPB ring. I got an email just in from uh, Chris Carlson. Says uh, that when they got their got their new house, they had a bunch of rose bushes, and she said don't really have time to to keep them trimmed. They're getting big and and they're starting to cut on their toddler as he runs around. So wants to know how to get rid of them or keep them from digging in their sun. Well, uh, let's do it backwards. First of all, uh, toddlers learn through experience and just teach them. Matter of fact, deliberately point out the rose bush and not in a way that makes them afraid, but in a way that 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 teaches them wonder as well as being safe about it. You can cut rose bushes back to uh, if they're grafted roses, you can cut them back to two or three feet tall in the uh, in the you can cut them back to to a foot and a half or two feet tall in the winter time. That starts them out compact, and then you can shear the new growth once or twice through the summertime to keep them compact. Uh, so what I would suggest would be to go ahead get you some long sleeve glove. It, to, to me, the gloves that are the best for pruning on roses are uh, some of these cheap welders gloves. You go to, to you know one of these uh, uh, big box stores where they sell um, uh, tools and stuff, they'll have gloves that have a long cuff on them. They go halfway up to your elbow. That's the type of glove to use. You can't really close your hands that much because they gob up in the middle. Um, but anyway, the, the gloves with the long sleeves on them, they're real easy for getting They're grabbing branches, cutting them, and uh, throwing them over the uh, air, back fence if you got one. But anyway, you can prune them pretty hard even right now, and they'll still bloom on new growth. So other than pruning hard in the wintertime and then lightly in the summertime, just teach your child or just to relax, just to slow down. And again, do it in a way that's, that doesn't teach them to be afraid of stuff, uh, but to respect it. Enjoy that. So anyway, I hope that helps. Also got an email from, uh, uh, from who is this from? Edward Jelmer. He said he's got um, okra. And the pods look like they've been snipped off with scissors. Um, and he sent me a picture of it. And I don't think it's an insect that did that. It could be. Uh, sometimes squirrels and rodents will snip them off. But um, you, I, 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 I don't know. He's got a picture of an okra. It's got some pods on it. Everything else looks like they've been chewed off. Could be an insect. Um, but there's not much practical you can do about that. I don't know of any insecticides you can spray on okra that doesn't have a long waiting period between um, harvest and between spraying and harvest. I will suggest this though: okra pods, when they're small, they're softer. So you might want to just go out and harvest a little bit more often. Get the pods while they're small and tender and easier to <laughs> to cook and digest. Um, and other than that, I really can't say, certainly nothing I can suggest that you spray on that. But uh, if you'll keep the okra uh, uh, watered, a little bit of fertilizer, they should continue to put on uh, new pods right up until fall. Again, if you want to give us a call, it's toll-free 1-877-MPB-RING. Got the lines wide open if you want to give us a call. 
Uh, I got an email from, and, and I could use some help on this. This is from Jimmy Palmer. He said, I want to know if there's any local resources. I, I'm assuming this is for Jackson. I don't know. Uh, local resources are groups where he can learn about aquaponics. No, no, I'm sorry. Jimmy's up in Water Valley, up in North Mississippi. Aquaponics, which is really interesting. I was just at a, uh, a flower show yesterday, the Southport Flower Show. It's uh, up in northern England. Uh, they just had their, it's their 90th anniversary. They've been doing this flower show for 90 years. This is where local people uh, show uh, off their skills and and uh, anyway, there's several demonstrations on real easy hydroponics or aquaponics. And uh, there's not a big difference between the two. You know, they just use different type of vessels at all. Anyway, I don't know if there's any local groups about that. I know that there's plenty of information. A lot of people want to sell you stuff. And it's not necessarily buy a whole bunch of uh, expensive equipment. Uh, the principles are pretty solid. Uh, there is research being done by Mississippi State University. A um, fellow named Rick Schneider, Dr. Rick Schneider down at uh, Crystal Springs, did a lot of research on aquaponic hydroponics. Uh, but anyway, there's plenty of stuff online. But if you want to send me specific questions, uh, I'll be glad to help that uh, help you as, 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 as well as I can. But meanwhile, I don't know of any local group or local resources about aquaponics. Uh, anyway, it's something I can help with specific questions. That's what emailing is about, garden at MPB online.org. Now let's slide over to the Delta talk with Bill from Greenwood. Hey Bill, good morning. Hey, hey Felder, how are you doing? I'm doing uh, doing fine. What's up? I heard you talk about Amelia. I've never heard of that. Uh where can you buy is it a just regular plant flowering plant? Yeah. Uh, where can yeah, it's, it's, it's an old-fashioned shrub. Uh, well, I worked in a garden center over in Indianola. We sold tons of and it's abelia with a B-A-B-E-L-I-A. Abelia. As soon as, you, yeah, as soon as you see one of these bills, you can say, oh, yeah, you know, my, my mother had, my grandmother. It's a, it's a good, solid, old, kind of small-leaf evergreen shrub with lots of little small flowers. It's not a real showy flowering plant, but it has lots of them, but abelia. There's lots of them all around Greenwood. It's just, just a real tough, durable, old-fashioned shrub. And you should be able to get it at most garden centers. I wish Pearson's was still open, but uh, I think there's something else I'll check. What about in Greenwood? Uh, you think you can find don't, 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 don't know. Any garden center, any locally owned garden center, uh, where they get their normal plants, they get a bilia. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, a, a pretty... It's a pretty common shrub. So, and by the way, it was Pearson's I worked at over there, over in Indianola, and we did a lot of landscaping in Greenwood. But anyway, any local garden center that sells shrubs, where they get their normal shrubs from, just tell them to throw in a billion on the shrub uh, on the truck next time and give you a call. It's a, it, and once you see it, you'll recognize it's been around forever. You've you've seen it all your life without knowing about it. All right. Well, there's something else I want to get. Uh... I like the uh, the birds a lot, you know, the balkan bird and the cedar waxed wings and the yeah. robin. Uh, I'd like to get some plants where they have berries that won't kill them or make them too drunk. Uh, do you have any suggestions for flowering shrubs or plants with berries on them? Or well, 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 I, I do. Except, and by the way, making them drunk, that's not that big. And killing them is not that big a deal. It's, it's, it's an overblown thing. It's not something I would worry about. But the, the, when it comes to birds, um, you know, robins, for example, robins, you know, they're not 
they don't, I don't even know if they eat any berries. They're more worm eaters and stuff like that. But uh, the more variety you have, the more birds you can have. Uh, plenty of stuff with, with uh, fall and winter berries, but it's not even one plant I'd recommend over the rest. Uh, the, the key is a variety. Mm-hmm. Well, my mama used to have something that, that was thorny and it was beautiful red berries in the wintertime, and, and the robins seemed to love it. Uh, and the banana, all my plants are going, so you know, yeah. Well, no, no idea what that one would be. I mean, I can make some guesses, but you know, a lot of old, a lot of the old shrub roses had uh, had red fruits on them in the wintertime. But anyway, the idea is to have just a variety of stuff rather than any particular one thing. Okay, well, you have a good all day, right. Phil. Thank you. Okay, I appreciate it. Uh, hey, I got an email, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to tell you, you're a national treasure. I hope you stay on the <laughs> I don't know what Thank I you. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Now let's go down to uh to to Laurie in Flowood. Hey Laurie, good morning. Morning. Howdy, what's up? Um our the local elementary school has a raised bed garden and I know this summer yeah. uh they had planted I think peas and tomatoes and things like that, but they uh, didn't, of course, make until the summertime when the kids weren't there, and so the kids weren't right. around to even see it. Right. So uh, my, my question is, can you make any suggestions of, of things maybe I can suggest to them to plant now to where the kids can actually, you know, enjoy uh, a harvest well, of something in the yeah. fall or Yes, yes, I can. As a matter of fact, and, and this is kind of strange, I don't talk a lot about stuff that I've done over the years, but uh, for a long time, I was a member of the American Horticulture Society Youth Gardening Committee. I've actually written two books on children's gardening. And one of the, the things that irritates, that frustrates all of us is teachers who plant things that don't produce during the school year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's really, and, and it's not just during the school year. It has to be a month or so after school starts so that you know things can settle down and it needs to to produce be well before the end of school because they're getting ready for tests and stuff like that so we're looking at stuff in the in the fall and the winter rather than late summer and spring and uh, the easiest things uh and and this this goes completely against what most gardeners think about children don't learn like adults they don't think like adults and so it's important to have things that that have a real strong sense of color uh, taste, fragrances, things like that. And the easiest things are culinary herbs, rosemary, oregano, uh, basil, things that the kids can touch and smell. They don't have to wait for something to produce like a tomato. And they can take those and use them in, in simple meals. You know, they can have, uh, so, so they're real easy to do that way. Um, anyway, I have a I have a list of some really good plants that are suitable for school outdoor classrooms in Mississippi if you want to shoot me an email. Main thing is, uh, one last thing, in the spring they can plant okra seed and sweet potatoes. Oddly enough, they will grow over the summer, and when the kids come back in the fall, they can harvest the okra and save the seeds and plant the next spring. See, so things that grow over the summer that don't do anything till fall. So, anyway, culinary herbs flowers, collards, leafy greens in the wintertime, and things like sweet potatoes and okra that will grow over the summer and produce in the fall. Anyway, those are just some thoughts. 
Well, thank you so much. I'll, I'll shoot you an email. Yeah, and also keep one thing in mind, anybody else listening, um, it, almost everywhere except the South, gardening is common on schools. In California, they're required. In England, they all have school gardens. In Mississippi, it's not part of the curriculum. And so anytime somebody puts a, a garden out there, it's extracurricular. Instead of calling it a garden, suggest these people call it an outdoor classroom and they have components other than just plants and then work a few plants into it. It'll be used a whole lot more by students and teachers than an extracurricular garden. So it's just a, it, it sounds like I'm, I'm splitting hairs here, but school gardens often don't work. There's some really good ones. There's a great one in Laurel. Uh, you might want to have the teachers go down and visit the uh, a school garden in Laurel and see how that's done. But uh, the main thing is think outdoor classroom, not school garden, because that way it can fit in the curriculum and more people like to use it. Wow. Well, what a great idea. Thank you. Okay, Laurie, thank you for calling. I appreciate it. Okay, we got some cheesy music coming up. Let's go to Beaumont. Sue, how are you down in South Mississippi? Hi. Doing okay. I want to ask you a question. I heard a couple of weeks ago you were talking about people were talking about their gardens hadn't produced this year, and uh, you didn't mention lack of pollinators. I, I My daughter has some tomato plants, and they haven't produced anything. And yesterday I saw my first bee. And I wonder if it's good. <laughs> and, and I want to ask also, is it too late to plant squash? Yeah. Oh, well, to, to answer your question, first of all, bees and uh, um, peppers and tomatoes don't require pollinators. They're, you know, all they need is vibration for the window, but thumping, you know, the, the stem, not the flowers, but you go out and just sort of thump the plants a little bit, that shakes pollen loose a lot better. But a lot of tomatoes and peppers don't produce well in the summertime just because it's too hot. And it hits 95 degrees, those flowers don't pollinate under the best condition, or they'll actually shed like they've been snipped off. So it could also just be the heat. Um, anyway, as far as squash, you can plant squash right now, but go buy some store and get you one of these insect nettings because you can have all sorts. The later you plant stuff like squash, tomatoes, and peppers and stuff, the more d insects build up. Uh, putting a netting over the area will keep all the bugs and the butterflies and the beetles and stuff off of them. Uh, you just have to lift it up in the morning to make sure that the flowers can get pollinated, which you can do by hand. It's really easy to hand pollinate squash, but netting is going to be important because of all the insects that build up over the summertime. Okay, thank you. Okay, Sue, appreciate your call. And I do appreciate the calls I got this morning. If you want to give us a call, we've got some lines open. We're going to play a little bit of cheesy music just in a second. Speaking of pollinators, Sue down in Beaumont, she just said we need more pollinators. And coincidentally, I got a tune about pollinators. It's not your usual take on the flight of the bumblebee. I hope you enjoy it. But I'm horticulturist fellow rushing me and Java and uh, the folks at MPB. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to take a little short break for the music. If you want to give us a call, we've got the lines wide open. I'm also online. If you want to shoot us an email, gardening at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back with more of your phone calls and more gardening right after this. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's Phil Rushing. You hope you like that little bit of Flight of the Bumblebee. I've got so many different versions of it. I thought that was the cheesiest, so I play it today. Uh, I got an email from Amanda Anglin who wanted to know about her blueberries. She says she planted a couple back in June and went through a little bit of stress, which is pretty normal, but they're looking good. But she said, I've never fertilized them. Uh, even in this August heat, okay to give them a shot of fertilizer now. And, uh, and I said, yeah, a new plant which is watered a lot, uh, tends to have all the fertilizer dissolved and washed away more often than an established plant. So first year plants need a little bit of fertilizer, not much, just a little bit. Uh, if you want to give it like a shot in the arm, you can use a liquid fertilizer, the kind you mix with water. Uh, but even though, and this, this always bothers me, every time I mix up fertilizer, uh, liquid stuff, I always think, eh, it's not strong enough. Uh, yeah, it is. Whatever the directions call for, to mix in a gallon of water is actually the maximum they can get away with the recommended you use because they're trying to sell fertilizer. So whatever the directions call for to mix in a gallon of water, use that much or even less. If you want to give the plants a little shot in the arm right now, you can. But uh, let me throw this out for people who like to take care of their lawns as opposed to us metal people just mow what grows. Uh, if you like to fertilize and you want to winterize or do any kind of fall fertilizing, this is the month. Uh, we talk about fall fertilizing, not waiting till fall, but to get it ready for fall. So if you want to fertilize your lawn again, let's don't wait much longer. The end of August, 1st of September is sort of the general cutoff date for fer fertilizing lawns in the late summer. Otherwise, you tend to push plants too much right up to frost and they get more winter damage. So if you want to give your grass a winterizer, you don't wait to winter to do it. You get it ready for winter, fertilize in August. I know it's a little hot out there, but if you're using a good quality lawn food, it's slow release. It's not going to burn your plants. But sometime in mid to late August is a time to fertilize your grass for the last time for the summertime. So uh, I know as you know, people who have it done commercially, you know, they're the guys who fertilize lawns, they do it way too early and way too late because that's their business. But your grass doesn't want to be fertilized uh, too late in the summer because it won't have time to settle down before winter. So anyway, little tips like that and try to help save a little money, inject a little common sense into all the horticultural stuff that's out there. People trying to get you to do things or sell you things or want to do things for you. That's their business, and I don't hold it against them. But let's let's look at it from the plant's point of view. What is the grass like? What are your shrubs like? What are your, what are your flowers like? And uh, that's the approach I'm going to use. 
Hey, if you want to give us a call, Kevin Farrell is screening the calls this morning. It's toll-free 1-877-MPB-RING. we got some lines wide open if you want to give us a call. I got an email from uh, from a longtime listener, uh, Hillary Sugar, who sent me the uh, link, which I forgot about. The Audubon Society uh, has a thing. If you go to audubon.org, Audubon Society, audubon.org, uh, they have a, a zip code uh, uh Finder where you type in your zip code and it has a list of the plants that will attract birds for your garden for your area. It's uh it's it's it's, it's that it's that detail. I also mentioned earlier there's gonna be a couple of events coming up. Uh first weekend in September first full weekend in September. Uh the Mississippi Native Plant Society, September seventh, Saturday, September seventh. Uh, it's going to have uh, a really nice program at the uh, Natural Science Museum in Jackson. Um, it's going to be all about native plants. It's going to be all-day uh, 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 lectures. they got some top speakers on native plants for the landscape and, and, and all that. Um, but also they're going to have tours, and they're going to have a field trip the next day. You can join them. But anyway, if you want to join the Native Plant Society's meeting, uh, $6 covers everything, 6 bucks. It's going to be at the Natural Science Museum there in Jackson. And while you're there, uh, take a visit. Uh, wander through the Native Plant exhibits they get out front. Uh, really nice exhibit. Maybe take a hike down the bluffs back to the Pearl River. Anyway, that's on Saturday, September 7th. Uh, that same weekend... Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is the 20th annual Strawberry Fields, Strawberry Plains Migrating Hummingbird Festival. I went last year, and it was it was unbelievable. I mean, this is this is just north of, of Holly Springs, up in North Mississippi, the Strawberry Plains Audubon Center. Uh, there was fantastic hummingbirds everywhere. There were hundreds of them. Uh, they were catching them. They were banding them. You can watch them uh, catch and band these things. You'll be surrounded by them and butterflies. Matter of fact, uh, it was a warm day when I was there. I had a little bit of sweat on my arm and I had a butterfly land on my arm, sipping some of the salt off my, my arm. So I feel like I'm a, I'm a butterfly host person. But anyway, that's 6th, 7th, and 8th of September. It's an, an incredible event. Uh, you, you'll really like it. Uh, and then the other thing I've got coming up in September on the 20th and 21st, Mississippi Gourd Festival. I've been to it several times. They have classes and vendors and all sorts of stuff, uh, both on uh, the 20th and the 21st. It's going to be the Smith County Agriculture Complex, which is real easy to find in Raleigh, Mississippi. If you want more information, it's eight to five both days. If you want information about that, go to MississippiGourdSociety.org. A lot of fun. The Mississippi Gourd people, you know, they're they're just the most laid back folks I've ever seen. Anyway, if you want to give us a call and talk about gardening, it's toll free one eight seven seven MPB ring. Uh, let's go to to uh, let's talk to Vinny. Vinny, are you in Dalesville? Hello, Vinny. You jumped the gun a little bit, Felder. My my, my oh. bad. We uh, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, a two man yeah. operation with me and Kevin back here. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Y'all can more than handle it. I'm glad I'm not pushing the buttons. So uh, tell tell me when Vinny's ready to go. Yeah, he's almost. He's getting he's getting queued up now, and now the phone calls are rolling in. Like I said, we just <laughs> we do what we can do on a Friday morning. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I appreciate it, man. Y'all are working a lot harder than I am. 
Oh, hey, let, let me re- remind folks that if you want to shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org. I'm online and seeing your, your calls as they come in. Um, now, let's go to Vinny. Vinny, are you in Daleville? It's, yes, it's Viney. But anyway. Oh, Viney. Where's yes. Where's Daleville? That's what I want to know, uh, Viney. It, it's about, uh, about 15 miles from Meridian. Okay, north. that could be in that could that could be out in the hills there somewhere. Well, north of Meridian, <laughs> up by NAS. Okay, okay. Well, what can I help you with, Viney? Well, I'm having these problems with my hibiscus. It's these little white looking butterflies. White flies. Yeah, little uh, little tiny white flies. Yep, like a little cloud. Well, they look like, it's more like a butterfly. How big little, is it? Um, probably about an inch. Well, maybe a little bigger. Okay, but, that's not what I was thinking of. They they do have trouble with white flies, but they're a tiny little thing. Are they are they laying eggs? You got green worms on your on your yes, plants? Exactly, exactly. Okay, yeah, and that's the that the, the, the that's the yeah the the the, the butterflies called the cabbage butterfly. Uh, they lay eggs on cabbages and. And the broccoli and all those kind of things. I wouldn't be surprised if they were on the on the hibiscus also. But uh, there's not much you can do to prevent the butterflies from coming because they're just out there. Uh, the caterpillars, uh, you know, if there's too many just to thump off or rub off, there are sprays you can use that only kill caterpillars. Now they're called. Um, it's it's a type of bacteria. Every garden center sells it. It's it's a biological worm spray. You spray it on the on the plant. Worms eat it; they almost immediately stop eating. And then, if they when they drop on the ground, if a bird or spider or a wasp gets it, it won't be poisoned. But the biological worm sprays are the safest thing. Uh, otherwise, you might just want to just you know dump a, to squirt them off with a hose if this is outside. Well, but, they, then, they, but then they still uh, come. I have done that, and they come yeah. right back, and uh, once it dries off. And and they come right back and do the same thing. I know, I know, but it's just like mosquitoes, though. You can't you just you know not, the only thing you can do is put a drape a tent over you know one of these insect net. You can I use lightweight insect netting. And most people in Mississippi don't do it, but almost everywhere else where people have been gardening a long time, you can get this lightweight netting and just drape it over the plant. You can't see it from three feet away, but it keeps butterflies and beetles and stuff off the plants. But that's the only way to keep. There's no other way to keep the butterflies from coming by and laying eggs when they really feel like it. Uh, okay. Uh, but where can I find this insect netting? The, uh, I don't know if they've got them at big box stores and all like that, but most garden centers, uh, you know, I'd be surprised they didn't have it at, you know, the Home Depot, Walmart, uh, uh, Lowe's, well, things like that. But any garden center can get them. And they're not expensive. They're real lightweight. They even have some that are green colored, and you stretch them out. You just throw it over your plant, and you cannot see it from three feet away. Okay. And, and, that, and, that, and that, that works. Okay. So you say by the biological worm spray from the garden center? That's right. But, again, it only kills caterpillars once they hatch out and start eating. You know, if you want oh. to keep them from coming on there, you, you can get an insect netting cheaper you, than you can, can mix up a spray one time. So anyway, the biological worm spray only kills caterpillars, won't kill butterflies and stuff like that. Oh, okay. But uh, well, it ain't going to keep them from coming in the first place. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I love butterflies, but not these because they're, they're <laughs> <just a scare. laughs> I know, I know those little green. 
And if okay. you ever if you've ever grown uh, cabbage or broccoli or collards or something like that, they will yes. eat yes, them. Maybe. They look like skeleton. But again, the insect netting works over those too. Every garden I go to in England, they've got insect nettings draped on. They'll get a piece of PVC pipe or some rebar and make a little hoop and just throw this over there. Doesn't doesn't bother them at all. Doesn't bother the plants. Oh, okay. Well, are you coming to Meridian anytime soon? I am, as a matter of fact. Let me see. I've got it right here. I'm going to be in Meridian at the max. Where is it? Uh, I don't have the date on it, but it's going to be in September, I think. But I'm going to be okay. uh, there at the max sometime this fall. I just don't have it written out right now. Okay. Because I want to um, make sure I come. <laughs> well, I, I will announce it, and if you don't get around to it, just holler back. But, heck, I might even wear an insect knitting when I'm over there. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, I... In September, right? Yeah. Uh, while you know, uh, while, while I'm taking the next call, I'll see if I've got it on my. Uh, I see if I can get the dates. So stay tuned. Okay. All righty, Viney, we appreciate it. Good luck with those caterpillars. Thank you, and you have a blessed weekend. Thank you. Appreciate it. All righty, and let's go down uh, on the road. Let's talk to Bonnie. Bonnie, how are you? Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. Thank you. Good. What's up? Um, I live in Cordova, Tennessee, and I have some really good peaches from Jones Orchard that's in Millington, Tennessee. Uh-huh. I wanted to know the chances of uh, if I can grow from seed, get some started, and I've heard before to put them in the freezer first. So I was going to see your take on that. Okay. Now, what was the plant again? Peaches. Peaches. Yeah. Here's here's the deal. First of all, peaches, if you get you a peach that's, that, you know, that's still, that you just ate, once the seeds dry out, they don't sprout very well. So if you get a fresh seed, then what you do is you put it in a, uh, in a plastic, clean it off really good, uh, put it in a plastic bag with just a very barely damp piece of paper towel. We want humidity, not moisture. And then put it in the refrigerator for about three months, you pull it out and it'll sprout right out or leave it over the winter there. But the main thing is they have to be exposed to chill, not freeze, but chilling and humidity. So store them in the refrigerator, they'll come on out. So that's how you sprout them. Here's the drawback, though, Bonnie. It takes four, five, six years for a seedling to mature enough to flower and start making fruit. That's the reason when you buy a grafted one, they graft stuff off of mature wood on the stems. But it takes several years for them to go through the juvenile phase to start maturing and making peaches. And then you don't know what you've got because peaches are cross-pollinated. It is not likely to be the peach that you actually ate. So I, 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 I'm, I'm not trying to be negative here. The only piece that I know that grows really easy from seed that you can count on is an old-fashioned one. I've grown it for years and years called Indian cling, Indian cling pea. They're small and they're kind of hard, but and they got pretty burgundy foliage and flowers. But Indian cling peach comes back from seed, uh, uh, true to seed. The rest of them, you know, they grow different varieties together and it gets cross-pollinated. And it's just, it's a fun gamble. But answer your question, refrigerate, clean them, refrigerate them, and plant them after at least three months. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Appreciate it. Ooh, sound like I'm being negative there. I'm just trying to arm it with all the facts. Hey, let's go to Quitman. Hey, Brian, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good, man. Look, good. Um, What's up? I want to ask you about, uh, 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 about fleas. I'm having, man, I'm, I'm being ate up over here. 
I'm using yeah. this stuff called uh, Biffin XTS. Yeah. I'm spraying about 20 foot out from the house about every three days. Yeah. My man, they they they, they ignore that stuff. And uh, I mean, am I using the wrong stuff or, or what am I doing wrong? Well, you might be using the wrong stuff. Here, here's the deal with, with fleas in a nutshell. The adults lay little round eggs that roll off onto the ground or the dust or whatever, and they and there's nothing you knew about those eggs. You cannot kill an egg. When the the, the little larvae, they're like tiny little off-white, tiny little caterpillars. They eat dust and grass debris and stuff like that. You can kill them if you really soak the area. In other words, use enough water to get it down the ground. It's going to kill your earthworms and stuff too. But anyway, you can control them if you get an insecticide on them. Then they go into a cocoon. And once they're in that cocoon, there's nothing to get to them. And then the adults hatch out from the cocoons. So if you could be spraying right now and killing all the larvae that are out there before they get the cocoon, but you got to wait for all the cocoons to peter out before you get rid of them. In other words, they keep coming out of the cocoons until you peter them out. So when you spray, you're trying to kill a few adults, you're trying to control the larvae, and then you just got to wait till the cocoons finish hatching out because it's not fresh fleas, what I'm saying. They're coming from cocoons that are already out there. So in other words, two or three or four good sprays, uh, will keep, will stop the next wave. I mean, you just got to wait out the ones that are already in cocoon. No other way around that. Will, uh, it, will an inhibitor work? It, it does, but, you know, you know, there's also, you know, the, the flea larvae are not hard to kill. They're not hard to kill at all. But again, there's a lag time between killing them and then the ones that are already out there in cocoons hopping out that's the reason it seems like you spray really good one day and the next day you got more they're from cocoons already there spraying prevents the next wave uh, all sorts of stuff will control it but you got to get it to the larvae and they're tiny they're down in the you know down in the feeding on debris and stuff in the grass and all so what it's just a matter of waiting of them out temperature, what, what type of temperature will, you, will, will make them go away none when it's really, really cold, they're they're not they're not active when it's really, really cold. But other than that, it's you know well, this is still a there. Eight. They're not active. Okay. That's right. That's yeah. right. Fleas have been an age-old problem. But again, understanding their life cycle and treating the the uh, the the larvae and then just sort of putting up with adults the best you can. That's about all we can do. Okay. I wish I could get. I wish I could do more, but that's that's what I end up doing. That's what I end up doing. Okay, thank you. Okay, good luck on it. Alrighty, folks, uh, we're just about out of time, but I want to throw this out. I just found out. Uh, I'm trying to find out when it is. I'm gonna be in Meridian. I don't have the the date for it just yet. I'm I'm looking on it right now. I can't find it. I can't find it. Anyway, it's going to be sometime in, oh, here we go, October 5th. I'm going to be in, in the, at the Max in Meridian on October the 5th. And we're going to have a plant swap, talk about all sorts of stuff in containers and all that. So, anyway, sorry, I didn't have that on my notes already. But uh, if there's some events you'd like me to uh, to come to, if there's some garden club or master gardening groups, shoot me an email. I do these all the time all over the state. Meanwhile, if you're going to get a, if you're going to be anywhere near Jackson, uh, the first weekend in first full weekend September the seventh, 
Native Plant Society at the National at the Natural Science Museum, uh, and also uh, I don't know if I'm gonna make it or not, but I hope to see some folks if I do at the uh, the big hummingbird festival that's every fall at the uh, Audubon Strawberry Plains Audubon Center. That's gonna be on uh, the sixth, um, seventh, and eighth of September. It's an unbelievable thing going on down there. And there's some events that you know that I can help promote. Shoot me an email about those. I'll be Glad to help in any way that I can. Um, one of the things that I'd like to remind folks of this time of year, it's really not too late to plant summer stuff, but it is a time to plant stuff for fall or winter. We do have problems with insects. And I was talking to Viney about the insect netting. It's just make you a little hoop with some rebar or some some uh, PVC pipe or make you a, put you some squares, make a little frame. Put insect netting over most of your, your raised beds and you won't have problems with the, the, the insects like most people do. You just won't. In the case of things like um, squash that have to be pollinated by bees, a lot of times the honeybees can make it through that netting. But it's real easy to raise it up and hand pollinate the squash. It takes less than five or six minutes in the morning, and within two or three days you'll be eating squash. Uh, the main thing is rather than pour a bunch of insecticides out there, which may not be safe for you, may not be safe for the pollinators. There are some good ones if you use them effectively, but it wouldn't be better to prevent the problem to begin with. And insect netting is used worldwide, except for some reason in Mississippi, people just don't use it. Maybe because daddy didn't use it. Well, it's because daddy didn't have any of it, okay? Anyway, insect nettings are really, really cool, and and they work. Uh, if there's some things you'd like uh uh, some que- some answers about during the week, shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org. Uh, I'd like to welcome fellow green necks and diggers every week here on MPB. Uh, we call it uh, Think Radio. And if you want to join us anytime by podcast, go to Mrs. go to mpbonline.org and take it from there. If you get a chance, take a kid to a farmer's market. Let them meet some real, real farmers. Take them to a garden center. Get them a sack of bulbs or something. Help them plant some seeds of zinnias this week. They have butterflies in, a, in just a few more weeks. But meanwhile, the most important thing, relax. Gardening is a process, not a product. Uh, if you get a chance to get out and show some kids how to do what we do best, do it. And what do we like to do best? That's right. We like to get dirty. See you next week. Thank you.